This is a Clark University podcast. When I was a teenager and, and actually at Clark, my mother was a public defender in Western Massachusetts. And, you know, I had the chance to shadow her. I interned uh, for, for one of her colleagues uh, when I was younger. And it really not only inspired me to fight for the oppressed and against abusive state power, it really clued me into our obsession with punitive uh, policing practices and our obsession with punishment. You know, as, as a black kid growing up in America, I, I knew about it, but to see it firsthand, to really see um, how the entire judicial system is set up as a proxy for societal control only against one group of people really opened my eyes um, as a young man, as a young black person in society and really informed uh, what I wanted to do uh, for a career. That's Angelo Guisado, who graduated from Clark in 2008 and is now a staff attorney at the Center for Constitutional Rights. Guisado watched the confirmation of Katanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court this month and took in the history of the moment. Guisado believes Justice Jackson's experience as a public defender in particular is a vital addition to a body that has recently been viewed as too politicized. I think that many jurists have a very pro-carceral, pro-policing approach, and that's just a fact. Um, the idea that someone's experience as a public defender would weigh in their judicial philosophy is animated by the fact that they actually have to go into jails and prisons regularly to see the entire weight uh, of state power press on, uh, on uh, people who really have uh, uh, the entire deck stacked against them. I think Justice Jackson's philosophy uh, is informed by her public defense specifically because uh, the law is often a little slow to catch up with the rest of society. I'm Melissa Hansen, a producer in Clark's communications office, and this is Challenge Change, conversations to challenge your mind with people who are changing our world. Considering last year and the year before's protests after the murder of, of George Floyd, I think what we saw was a reckoning in American society with the facts of policing. The fact that we have an obsession and lead the world in incarceration rate by, uh, by many orders of magnitude, and that the law has to catch up to that. And I think that that particular experience, which would be unique on the Supreme Court, uh, is particularly relevant and actually, frankly, uh, long overdue. I think it's extremely important to have the first black woman confirmed, uh, not only for uh, all of the reasons uh, that would help us in uh, a judicial philosophy way, that's to say the protection of the rights of black people in this country, which continues to get trampled on uh, both legally and extra legally, but for the profound effect it'll have on all of the little uh, black girls uh, who are watching it. Uh, I think it, it, it makes a tremendous impact um, to have someone that looks like you on the Supreme Court. She is among the most qualified, if not the most qualified justice in the last 50 years. Um, she's had a wealth of experience both at the appellate court uh, and the district court in DC. She's had three clerkships. She graduated with Latin honors from Harvard twice. 
She has nine years of uh, prior federal judicial experience, which is more than Justices Thomas Roberts, Kagan, and Barrett combined. The American Bar Association gave her her highest, gave it its highest praise and recommendation. I mean, this is a truly, truly impressive pedigree. We don't have a judiciary that looks like the rest of America, and that's an aim that I maintain we should strive for. It's not that she is an affirmative action hire, right? It's that she has nine years of federal judicial experience, uh, uh, public defense experience. Uh, she has authored over 500 legal opinions, and she's never going to be able to shake that uh, unfortunate imprimatur of uh, unqualifiedness just by virtue of being a Black woman. And I think that speaks a lot about society. The last three Supreme Court confirmations have become contentious processes featuring pointed questions from senators and ample public commentary on social media. It all demonstrates how intertwined the Supreme Court has become with politics, Guzado says. Americans need to disabuse themselves of the notion that the Supreme Court is not a political institution. It is the third branch of government and it is very much a political branch. 61% of Americans think that the Supreme Court is motivated by politics and they're right. And I think we have to stop pretending that both sides are engaging in good faith and we have to recognize that when Mitch McConnell declined to appoint uh, uh, the successor installed uh, Obama's uh, last chance to appoint a Democratic justice that politics had overtaken the Supreme Court. But I would argue that politics have always been intertwined with the Supreme Court. We all know what's happening uh, uh, at abortion clinics across the country. We all know that the Supreme Court has taken up the Dobbs case, which not only could invalidate Roe versus Wade, but it could take out uh, the whole idea of unenumerated rights under the Constitution, right? Things that could be brought back like uh, elimination of birth control, forced sterilization. There's an entire line of cases that's supposed to be untouchable due to sorry decisis. But because of the political nature of the Supreme Court and because the Supreme Court is, in essence, a political branch, we're seeing an undue influence into the jurisprudence, which should remain ideally uh, sacrosanct instead of law. The addition of an individual justice to the Supreme Court can change its balance and uh, dynamic in really profound ways. Um, and I think that the idea that justices don't bring any of their personalities, uh, philosophies, or lived experience to the court is a fallacy. Guzado thinks about what an apolitical court could mean for the country. I think to a certain extent, we still use a constitution that was drafted by people who owned slaves. And we have to recognize that the court has to keep up with the mores of society. Society evolves, right? It was settled law uh, in Plessy versus Ferguson. Uh, to have segregation in this country. And that stood until Brown versus Board of Education, right? And, and I think it's really important that the court not lose touch with uh, uh, societal uh, morals. However, I would say that, you know, the, the rights that we adhere to and are and so cherished in this country are really under threat currently. And that's because of right-wing political theater, theater strategy, 
undue influence in the court. And I do think a politicism uh, would help remedy that. Steve Kennedy, an alum who graduated in 1988 and is now senior trial counsel for the Hartford Insurance Company, also would like to see an apolitical Supreme Court, but he feels it may be an unattainable ideal. That's what you want a judge to be completely impartial and and not you know have a certain philosophy one or the other. That, I think that's just not human nature. I think that's impossible. Kennedy is a Clark professor and leads the university's mock trial team. Well, you know, a lot, some of them come in with you know they want to they have views about being being a public defender or or be, having concerns about the issues that Clark students have concerns about, you know, racial equality and discrimination and things like that. And also, oftentimes they want to just see if they want to, they want to take a course to see if they want to go to law school. Is this that going to be helpful to them to, to do? Or do I want to be a trial attorney, so I'll take trial advocacy and see if that's something I'd like to do. As the Senate considers Supreme Court nominations, Kennedy works with his students to emulate the experience of being inside a courtroom. You have a jury pool that come in and nobody wants to be there. They look like their board's stiff and they have excuses. No one wants to sit and they sit down, they look at you blankly. But once that trial starts, if there are examples where judges sometimes let the jurors ask questions um, and you, the questions they ask, like we're so focused as lawyers, we're right, we're one, one way. And they come up with something out of nowhere because when it comes down to it, they're really deciding something very important. They could be deciding you know, if someone goes to jail for life or not, or if, if someone is, uh, goes bankrupt or someone loses their, a, a lot of money. Um, and so they, I think that they take it very seriously once they're seated, and it's really a valuable part of our democracy. No one can take a life or liberty from you without a right to a jury. So those, those people serve a very important role. Justice Jackson will replace Justice Stephen G. Breyer at the end of the current term this summer. To learn more about pre-law advising at Clark, visit clarku.edu slash prelaw. Challenge Change is produced by Melissa Hansen and Andrew Hart for Clark University. You can find other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. One, two, three. Clark!